Amen. Thank you, Karina. This is quick. Appreciate that. Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter number one. And uh, Brother Doug, make his way down the middle. If you don't have an outline, we'd love to get one in your hands. And Romans chapter number one. We have a couple lofty goals this evening as we get started. One of those goals is we're hopefully going to finish up chapter one this evening. And then number two, I want to get done in plenty of time, maybe give us an extra few moments of prayer. And I'd like for you as we go to prayer, as we pray for revival, I want you to think about a few different people that you can name specifically to God about revival. And whether they be unsaved, that you pray and the Lord would see fit to give you opportunities to invite them, to get them out, and uh, that they would come out. And then maybe it's a, a fellow believer that that. Uh, maybe struggling a little bit, maybe isn't typically here, or maybe somebody who just comes on a Sunday morning, or just, uh, just typically maybe isn't here for revival services, that the Lord would lay them on your heart. You'd pray about being the one that is the catalyst behind getting them in the revival services. And so I want to spend some extra time. So uh, I want to get into the passage and get into it. And actually, we, we've covered some of it in a sense already. So some of the, the latter parts, and it goes pretty quickly, I think, tonight you'll see. But it, it really ties it all up together. I'm excited about getting to Romans chapter 2 in a couple weeks because it, it takes a little bit of a different focus. But we want to finish this up. As we've been dealing in this passage with the perversions that grow out of man's digression when he rejects God, when he departs from God. And last, last week's a tough passage as we deal with verses 26 and 27. Uh, uh, not, not, boy, it's just a heavy kind of subject matter. I hate, uh, you hate thinking about that those things that uh, those perversions but the reality is it's in scripture and uh, we, we need to understand what the scriptures say about it but now we get to move on and and, and yet l- let's talk real quick remind ourselves you see it there on your outline that that digression each step of it from god's revelation to man's choice and rebelling against it to man's rationalization to that regression of becoming a, like a fool then to false religion and then now this whole section down through verse 32 the reprobation of man, literally the distancing of himself, the abandonment, abandonment of man by God. And so in response to man's abandonment. Then uh, last week is where we really got into these first two statements here. First, uh, we see the part of this digression, the giving up to uncleanness. It has to do with our bodies, our bodies. Uh, we said sexual immorality is a clear and ir- irrefutable indicator of the spiritual depravity of the human heart. So it comes out uh, uh, there in our immorality. We understand that. We're not going to spend much more time with it. Then we looked at letter B, uh, this simple statement here. Second, giving up to vile affections has to do with our heart and soul. That is the seed of our affections and emotions. The idea of vile affections there dealt with passions. And we came up with these two statements that we added on. You see them on your outline there. When man has already forsaken the God of nature, it's no surprise when he in turn rejects the order of nature. Man, woman, uh, the idea of what God has designed and put in place and, uh, among all creation. And then number two, we as a nation and a culture, yeah, even as a world, uh, when once uh, before uh, we have made the uncreated created, now we see in this digression we make the unnatural natural. 
and the world views it as such. Okay, so now we want to finish up this chapter by looking at the final description of the digression that man is doomed to experience when he turns his back on God. Let's first look at verse 28 with me, if you will. Let's read it together. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Okay, so what he's establishing is the prior group uh, that he has just alluded to, mankind, been turned over, their bodies and their heart, uh, their emotions, affections now, as they did not like to retain God in a knowledge, God gave them up to a reprobate next step, step or part, a mind, a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. So here is the picture that Paul gives us of the creature being wrecked and ravaged uh, in his very core due to what? His own self-will his own self-satisfaction and self-desire for what he wants to do. Man has distanced himself from the one thing that he needs more desperately than anything else, and that's God. He's distanced himself by his choices and rejecting and rebelling, the very thing he needs. And my friend, this describes our present world. This is a world who is happy without God, at least in their minds and in their thinking. They have no problem. Uh, uh, in the simplest rebellion against God is seen across the board. I, I can't help but, but think that very soon, somewhere along the way, our currency is going to lose the very simple statement of, in God we trust. People don't want that because that makes a statement that there is a God, and then we'll see what that tends to, to do. Can I tell you that a, a coin nowadays can be a simple means of conviction for some people? Ah, there is no God. And then they turn over a coin and they read, in God we trust. That's a convicting point. It's an angering point for some. Described here in this passage. Why? Well, we'll see this. The, the presence of God is a mighty prick in the heart of a sinner. So the very presence, existence of God really pricks or con- convicts uh, a sinner. There are some people who don't read the Bible. Why? Because they don't want their hearts pricked. They don't want to be confronted. They don't want to be convicted. There's some who will not darken the doorway of a church. You've heard it. I've heard it. Hey, oh, I could never go to church. That place will fall in around me. Or I'll never darken the door. I've never darkened the doorway of a church, and I won't ever do it. Can I tell you what the reality is to that? What they're simply saying is, if there is a God, I'm in trouble. That's really what they're saying. When you boil it down and you take away this, this little facade about picturing church, reality is what they're saying is, uh-oh, if there is truly a God, if I acknowledge and admit that there is a God, <laughs> I'm in trouble. And reality is, you are in trouble. <laughs> for the wages of sin is death. We all are in trouble, but for the grace of God. So the reality is that we, we have to kind of sometimes when we're witness to people, we've got to read through the facade. We've got to break down some of the things they erect in their lives to kind of push God away. Why? Because they don't want to retain God in their knowledge. They don't want to hold on to any knowledge of who God is. And can I tell you that even uh, creeps into the lives of some believers. Because can I tell you, there'll be some believers who who don't want to come to revival, who want to make it a low priority. Why? Because truth be told, they don't want their hearts to be pricked by God, His presence, and His Word. So it's much better, uh, let's just avoid it. Let's not not go anywhere. Let's not even think about it. Let's not even put ourselves subject to it. 
Conviction, and here's why. Conviction is what? It's uncomfortable. Conviction is uncomfortable. And so if I want to get rid of conviction, I get rid of the thing that causes conviction. Or I get right. (laughs) Or I get right. So to avoid the convicting, pricking uh, ministry and work of God, man literally banishes the thought of God from his mind. The Bible says, Paul said, they, they choose not to retain. Literally, they choose not to hold on to God in their minds. And so there it is, the third, you know, giving up to a reprobate mind, as the Bible says. Uh, it opens the doorway, and we'll expound upon this in a moment, but the depravity of man's heart to have its full expression in the explosion of action, the explosion of deeds, his doing. Okay, so I banish God from the thoughts, from my mind. Literally, choosing not to hold on to Him in my mind and thoughts, doing my best to get rid of even the simplest consideration of God in all that entails. In other words, think of it this way. Have you ever had something on your mind, a thought or a circumstance, and you're just like this, I've got to stop thinking about it. All I'm doing is, stay, it's just, boy, it's consuming me, and all, maybe it's a bill, or, or maybe, it's, maybe you went to the doctor, and you're waiting for a health report back, and, and all you can think about is, boy, I've got to get the end of this, and I've I got to find out what the test is, and you're like, you know, I've got to get this out of my mind. And so what do we try to do? We try to distract ourselves, maybe get doing something else, maybe uh, kind of consume our minds with something else, and boy, I've just got to get busy, and whatever the case may be, what we try to do is get that thought out of our minds. In other words, don't retain it, don't hold on to it, and maybe put something there in its place for at least a little while to, to, to get a break from it distracted, have something uh, that your mind, something other uh, that your mind is engaged with. And that is literally what Paul speaks of the wicked. Okay, I don't want to think about God, so I, I want to do anything I can to get God off of my mind. That I don't think about him, that he doesn't enter into my, my daily actions, uh, that quite the opposite of the song we just sang, that all for Jesus, all my days and all my hours, my thoughts and my words. No, it's the opposite of that. I don't want to ever think about God. So any mention of God, anything that would bring up God, I don't even think about. I don't want to even consider. That's literally what Paul presents here. They don't want to entertain or, or retain the thought of God when they have already moved far away from him. We understand what this means. This means this. They want to live in independence from God. Not to have anything to do with him or him to have anything to do with them. Uh, Therefore, any thought of God, any reminder of God is a threat or an annoyance. So that little coin that says, in God we trust, somebody praying in a government building or having the Ten Commandments of, that now is an offense to me. Why? Because I don't want to think about God at all. He's your God. He's not mine. Have you ever heard that in all culture? I mean, that's literally what America is saying. He's your God. He's not mine. I don't want to think about him. Don't force him on me. Hey, my friend, we're not forcing anybody on you. What we're doing you is reminding you you have a creator that you will answer to. 
Just simply what the Bible says. David said it well. Here's why it's so bothersome for somebody to hear about God. Uh, one of the greatest, we've commented on this before, one of the greatest statements that have come up recently is this. You know, probably the last 10, 15 years, probably, maybe more, those of you who live longer. But I, I, I remember starting knocking on doors and getting this. When you knock on doors, start knocking, well, I believe your, your religion is a private matter. I don't know when it crept up. I don't know when it started. But I remember knocking on doors, talking to people, and they would start saying things like that. Religion is a private matter. Can I tell you, that's just a smokescreen for saying, I don't want to talk about God. Because if you know God, you'll want to talk about it. Or let me put it this way. If you know the God of the Bible and you know him as you ought to know him, you're going to want to talk about him. You don't want to talk about him. So it's a smokescreen. David put it this way in Psalm chapter uh, 20, excuse me, 77, verse 3. He said this, I remembered God and was troubled. <laughs> I remembered God and was troubled. That's an interesting statement. You say, what's the point of that? Well, reality is this. To think about God does an amazing job of putting me in my place. Any of us, believers or, 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 or unbelievers. And one of, the, one of the delights that you and I have as we gather together as a church, when we come to worship God, I trust and I pray, and I hope you enter into every service here at Fonstory Baptist Church with this desire is to see God. And as we see Him for who He is, we can't help but see ourselves for who we are. Whether falling short in sin or reality of, sometimes we get to see ourselves as joint heirs with Christ, a child of God. Uh, that word, some of you maybe saw it and sang it and didn't know what it meant. Uh, it, it was the word deigned. Literally, it's the old English word for dare, basically. That he would dare call me beloved. Now, sometimes you and I are reminded when we enter in here, I sure don't be deservedly called beloved of God, but I sure do praise God I'm called beloved today. He loves me. And so when we see God for who he is, and it reminds us who we are, whether that be the case of being a sinner, or sometimes we're reminded that, man, I, I am his and he is mine. I'm his child, blessed and beloved. So here's the thing. Apart from that, that thought of God, in any way, it, it kind of erects itself against people. Apart from that, there is little conviction to be had in the world. So apart from the thought of God, if I deny that creation says there is a God, if I deny that within me that points to a God, and I am hardening my heart to the Holy Spirit's conviction, the reality is there's very little in the world that convicts me. Now there is, there's called little lights called Christians <laughs> that are representatives that are the holy temple of the Holy Spirit. But outside of that, there's very little that convicts me. So that's why, although you and I uh, embrace the fact that Jesus Christ is risen, it's a glorious thought to us. The fact is, it's a curse to someone who rejects God. To think that God came to earth, Emmanuel, and then he died on a cross and he rose again, and he's resurrected, uh, that's a curse to them. That's something that, that brings conviction. The Bible why do people hate the Bible so much? Uh, many of you probably know a brand new museum opened up in, in Washington, D.C., a tremendous museum about the Bible and things like that. Boy, nobody in Washington, D.C. practically wanted it there. They fought it every step of the way. 
I mean, that's why the ark down in Answers in Genesis have been ridiculed because they don't want reminders. So the Bible and anything else, the idea of going to church, praying are all reminders of what most people have willingly banished from their mind. So why banish the thought of God? Because you cannot separate God from holiness. You cannot separate God from righteousness. You cannot separate God and a creator from accountability and responsibility. Just like you can't separate man from sin, man from depravity outside of the grace of God. Can't do it. So if the moment I bring up God, what it says is righteous, holy, accountable. Responsible to a creator. And then it reminds me that no matter how good I think I am here on earth, the reality is I fall short of the glory of God. And so any reminder to someone who is not his, to to someone who has been pushing and banishing the thought of God from their minds, mm, anything that brings his name up or reminds them, they don't want to have anything to do with. So here's the point. Think about it, what Paul is even saying here. So what do we do when when something's in our mind and we want to get out of it? We we don't want to think on it anymore. We fill our mind, don't we, with something else. See, sometimes, maybe maybe let's boil it down to spiritually. If you're having a wrong thought, a sinful thought, and and again, maybe someone dealing with pornography or, or, or thinking on something they ought not to. And the reality is, one of the things you have to do is called replacement theory. And the idea is, I need to stop thinking on that, and I need to start thinking on something else. And so it's always good that if we're having a problem with our thought life, to start meditating on God's Word to memorize it and get it in our minds and our thoughts so we think on that and maybe get out the Bible and read. Maybe start praying. How many of you have ever been laying on your bed and you thought of something you didn't want to think about and you say, oh man, i got to get this out of my mind. I need to start thinking on something else and you start praying. I do that. I guess get rid of that. I don't want to think, I don't want that in my mind. So let's replace it and let's get something good on my mind and think about something else so I forget about that. Now, think about it in reverse. That's what Paul says happened. They don't want to retain God in their knowledge. So what's left for them to dwell on? All the depraved things in their heart. So I don't want God here, and I don't want to hang on to the idea, the thought of God, because of all the accountability, responsibility it brings for how it makes me feel. So guess what? Now I'm going to fill my mind with something else. Literally, look at verse number 29. Notice the first two words, being filled. Being filled. That reprobate mind now is filled with all of these depraved things, these vile affections, these passions that are lying within a person. Now I dwell completely on those things. It's quite interesting, isn't it? See, we often think of it in reverse. Well, I want to fill my mind with something good when I'm trying to get something bad. Here's a person who has rejected God. Guess what? I'm going to stop thinking about God so I fill my mind with vile things. I dwell on terrible things, wicked, depraved things. Reprobate is the word used in the Scriptures here. A reprobate mind, a mind void of God and filled with junk, wickedness. Paul's laying out a tremendous truth for us tonight. And notice how he describes it. A person gives themselves to think upon these things. And notice it, he says, to do those things which are not convenient. That's an interesting word. 
Greek word there literally means improper, not fitting. It doesn't fit in. It's not right. It's dishonorable is another description of it. Just a moment, moment, we'll read the verses that give us this list that Paul says are improper and dishonorable, but there's something here that needs to catch our eye. Because he says these things are improper. They're not convenient. Now jump down to verse 32. Notice what else. It connects it. Verse 32, it says this, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now did you catch it? Two things are connected here. First, it says this. Literally, you know these things that are being committed are improper. They're not convenient. And at the same time, you also know that you're going to be judged of God. Now, that is a great statement. It literally ties back to the beginning of the passage where it says, all are without excuse. See, these that are doing this, they know they're going to be judged. They know that there's something wrong inherent to what they are doing. They know the judgment that's coming upon them when they uh, do such things. It is crucial that we understand here that uh, people do not acknowledge God because they simply do not want to. They simply do not want to. It is not that the God of this world blinds their hearts and their minds so they cannot see God. No, that's not the point. The point is this. Once they have decided that they don't want anything to do with God, you know what the devil finds? Something he can work with. You tell me. You finish it. Idle hands are what? Devil's workshop, right? See, something that is done on our part then allows the devil to come in and wreak havoc, to take that and and manipulate it, use it against us. Here's what Paul's saying. Hey, you chose, did you catch it? You You chose not to retain God in your knowledge, so what happens? God turns you over to a reprobate mind. Man makes a decision, and there's consequences to every decision. And so it is here. These are people who don't want the knowledge of God. They have chosen willing. It's an act of the will. Psalm chapter 10, I said this reference earlier accidentally, but Psalm 10 verse 4 says this, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. That statement in the Hebrew literally means he's not in any of his thoughts. Not in any of them. Why? Because of the pride. His own will. I don't want to know about God. Don't talk to me. Some of you, I know for as a matter of fact, there's some of you here in this room that there are certain people in your life, a neighbor, a family member, that you talk to about the Lord, and they have unashamedly told you, don't talk to me about that. I don't want to hear it. You know what they're doing? They're fulfilling Romans chapter 1. I don't want to hear that. Don't, Don't talk to me about that. They have chosen not to retain God in their knowledge. It is their will, it is their choice. To retain knowledge of God means responsibility. It means acknowledging accountability. We know that God has been revealed to every man within creation, within himself, as this chapter and other passages have already established. But these people, mankind, has refused to embrace that revelation. 
They are rebelling, as we have seen in this digression, against it. What did Jesus Christ say? Well, he said this in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Now, isn't that interesting? Because in the progression of Romans chapter 1, we see the same thing. It affects their bodies, their affections, and so forth, and you keep giving yourself over to that. I don't want to think about God. And then it starts pr- producing a reprobate mind. And so here, me and my deeds are evil. I don't want to go to the light. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither, here's an action of the will, neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be, and here's another word for conviction, reproved. Confronted. Jesus Christ said it just as Paul now elaborates on it in this legal discourse. As we have noted, God, they have abandoned God, so God abandons them to their own way. And yet they are without excuse. As this passage, this indictment is establishing. These things they are thinking about and doing, what do we say? They're, they're not convenient. They are improper to the degree that they know they will be judged and punished, and yet they still do them. I can't help, you know, there, there's several statements that people have said to us before, but... Anyone ever say to you, well, this statement. Well, I know I'm going to hell, but me and my buddies are going to have a party down there. Okay, so what are they saying in that statement? Now, they may just be making a joke. They may just be like making light. But literally, can I tell you what they're saying? Yeah, I really know that I'm going to be judged. Yeah, I understand that there probably is a God. But I don't want to think about it. I don't want to have that knowledge. I, I don't want to consider it. I, I don't allow that to enter in my thinking. It really, if you think about it, they're literally admitting, I know there's a God. And I know I'm going to be judged for how I'm living. Paul explains it. We've seen this verse. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, tremendous verse. We've, we've hit it on the floor. We'll do it again, I'm sure. But For when the Gentiles, now notice, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Man, what a great statement. He's saying, listen, whoa, 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 you guys just proved that there is a law. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and something they said, I jumped all over because we were kind of going back and forth debating, and what they said proved exactly my point, and that's always fun when they prove it themselves. And, uh, and I was like, man, that, that's, and that's what Paul's saying here. Listen, whoa, just look at how you live. You know that it's wrong. That, that You even say, you know you're going to be judged, as verse 32 puts it. That they have a law unto themselves. Um, you, you ever think about it? You ever read verses 30 and 31? And uh, you see this list, or 29 and 30 and 31, excuse me, all three. Uh, you see this list. If you ever handed this list of actions to most people, even if you were to look at the laws of most civilizations down through history, these things in verses 29 through 31 would be looked down upon even to the degree that some of them are considered illegal and punishable actions. These things here. What we observe is this. Now here's the statement you see in your outline. What we observe is that people who aren't even exposed to the revelation of righteousness, holiness, right and wrong within God's Word. 
So the holiness and the righteousness and the right and the wrong, the moral code that's established in God's word, someone who isn't even exposed to it, you know what we realize and see? They still have within them a basic understanding of the standards of righteousness. So they have a law inside of them unto themselves, as Paul put it, as he described. In other words, you take these civilizations, they're going to look at and many of them say, yeah, that's wrong, that's wrong, and that's wrong. And they don't know God at all. They've never read the Bible. I found it interesting. There was a, a story I read about um, just this week. Down in Mexico, it was a very rural city, and uh, uh, there was a, a mob mentality. There was a gentleman there in that city who was accused of raping a lady, uh, sexually assaulting two other ladies. The authorities got him. They threw him in jail, but many of the people there were so angry and upset because in their minds he had done something wrong even though they don't know God, some of them certainly, and they had no, he had done something wrong. He had broken, in their minds, law, a standard of righteousness. And so they decided, we're going to take the law into our own hands. They went to that police station. They, they, the cops tried to stop them, couldn't do it. They broke into the police station. That doesn't happen often, right? And broke into the police station, got the prisoner out, took him out, beat him up in the middle of the street. The cops couldn't get through. The, the people kind of circled up as the old terminology was and uh, they did business and when they were done with him they threw him into a pen of crocodiles he must have been really bad because the crocodiles didn't even touch him the authorities actually rescued him from there and put him back well took him to the hospital but then uh, eventually got him back in the prison and so forth so let me ask you why do those people do that Because really, in a world that is truly ran by evolution, in a world in which there is no God, frankly, they should have said, well, if he could do it, he can do it. Survival of the fittest. I mean, if if he's the stronger one, he should be able to do that. I mean, that's the reality. We've talked about that. That is the reality of that kind of faith system and belief system. But, oh, no, 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 no. We have standards of righteousness. Well, where in the world do you think you got standards of righteousness? From the creator that's obvious in the creation. From the law that's written inside of you, that moral nature as we talked about. That moral aspect to you as a being. It's just among the, the heathen, the atheist. Have you heard this term? They committed a crime against humanity. Have you heard that? Uh, they'd say Hitler created a, a, a crimes against humanity in Syria and the chemical warfare that's transpiring. Uh, they'll say, oh, that's a, that's a crime against humanity. Let me take a step back and say, number one, what that is saying is, well, we're drawing a line somewhere of a standard of righteousness. But there's honestly, can I tell you this? Number, uh, sides to Charles, <laughs> rabbit interstate. Um, there's two things wrong with that statement that are actually kind of scary. Number one, As David said, any sin that is committed is not necessarily just against man, it's against God. So a crime against humanity is a veiled reference to there is no God. We don't want to consider that. What we want to say is we have, we have offended our fellow human being, which again, in an evolutionistic belief system, holds no water. (laughs) Because it's survival of the fittest. 
So that's number one. Number two, I'd encourage you and I to be very leery of that kind of statement because it will be in the not-too-distant future that you and I witnessing and telling people what the Bible says will be interpreted as a crime against humanity. Mark it down. Well, that's not for the greater good. You shouldn't tell people that they're a sinner. You shouldn't tell people that their lifestyle is a sin. You shouldn't do this. and you should. That's a crime against humanity. Mark it down. Unless Jesus Christ comes back very soon, it's going to happen. And that's a term that could be easily thrown and applied in any way they want to. Look again at Romans chapter 2, verse 15 now. The next verse. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. So that's where the standard of righteousness comes from. The people in Mexico, civilizations down through the ages, that there's a work, a law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Now I want you to keep that in the, the recepts of your mind. We're going to come back to this idea of conscience in verse 15. We're going to bring it together in a later verse. Their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. You take some of these societies in the world, some that, some, some that the world would consider uncivilized, and most of the things listed in these verses, 29 through 31, would be considered wrong in that culture, with many of them considered crimes. What is our point? Simply this. Hey, they know they're going to be judged. And yet they commit these things. It is a willing act, a choice. Why? Well, it all builds upon this simple statement here. Moral perversion has led to mental perversion, which gives rise to unthinkable and unbridled wickedness. So the perversion just flows. This whole digression of man, the perversion just gets worse and worse and worse and affects us and affects us and affects us as a person, as a human being, as mankind, as a culture, as a nation. And I would say you and I could parse apart the history of the United States of America and we would find that this statement rings true. We gave way to moral perversion in this nation. It led to thinking perversely, reprobate thinking, which has now opened the floodgates to what? Unthinkable and unbridled wickedness. True statement, and Paul explains on it here. Now look at this list. It's an example list. This is not exhaustive. Paul wasn't trying to go through here and list everything that we'll see. No, this is just, he's saying, hey, here, for example, are some things. Notice at verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Quite a list. Let's break it down. If we were to break it down generally, we could break it into three simple statements as we break them apart. The first one is this, corrupted character. Corrupted character. This is probably the most. They're unrighteous, wickedness, covetousness. We don't need to expound on these. These are pretty much self-explanatory. Maliciousness, envy, deceit or deceitful. Malignity just means to malign someone. Literally ill well, will, thinking ill will towards, towards someone uh, to spite them. Haters of God. 
uh, despiteful, proud, without understanding, without natural affection, and implacable or placable literally means unforgiving, holding a grudge, an offense. And this one, unmerciful. So all flaws of character that flow from a reprobate mind. The second one we would describe as this. It is corrupted conduct. This is fornication, murder. These are actions. Disobedient to parents. Can I tell you, I have always been amazed this has been listed here. Haven't you? That oh, disobedience of parents is listed among all these things. And all the parents said, amen. <laughs> I mean, God takes it serious. And what is this? Well, frankly, disobedience of parents is an f- outflow of wrong thinking. So submission to authority and not coming under submission is literally, typically tied back to irrational or wrong thinking. And that's a whole other message for a whole other thought, but, or a whole other day. But man, it's very true. Inventors of evil things, covenant breakers. Hmm. Notice the next one. We put the last few in this description. Corrupted conversations. Not living lifestyles in the Bible, but conversations as we use the word. Whispers. What is that? Secret slander. Secret slander. Debate. I left that off the list, I think. And then boasters. (laughs) And then backbiters. As Paul describes here. You, You know what it comes down to is this. God says, okay, you don't want to retain me in your knowledge. I'm going to turn you over to a reprobate mind. And literally, what it's saying is, God's giving them up to a different master. A master of their own choosing, their own lust, their own sinful desires. One might make this argument. Well, if their conscience doesn't convict them and, uh, about this, then uh, it doesn't bother them when they follow the new master. It, it must be okay. Well, here's the simple truth, because sometimes we, we use the conscience as this thing. Even Christians like, well, it doesn't bother my conscience. Well, can I tell you, the conscience can be wrong. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not God's Word. Here's the simple truth you've got to take to heart. What Paul brings out, even in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. For the Christian, the Word of God trumps both common sense and the human conscience. Listen, letter B in Baptist, what is it? Bible, which is the soul. What does soul mean? Only. The only authority for what? Faith and practice. God's Word. Do we ever make mistakes in our own sense, our own reasoning? I do. Could your conscience ever make a mistake? Yeah, certainly. So we, our common sense, our conscience, which can, which can be helpful tools. Don't, don't mistake me. They can be helpful, but they should never trump God's Word and the Holy Spirit working within us. Oh, He can use those things, but we can't take them over. So in other words, our common sense and our conscience must what? Be subservient to what? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. See, I find it interesting, back in verse 15, he said this, as we read, which show the works of the law written in the hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. So he's saying, hey, the truth has been presented to you in creation, and even inside of you, the law written in your hearts, but then your conscience comes along and also bears witness. So the conscience can be a helpful thing, but this statement is not true for the wicked. See, when you take away the Lord, and if you take away the Lord, you're taking away God's Word. 
You take that away, man is left to put too much stock in common sense in one's conscience. The conscience is too fragile. For instance, if you and I were to ask, and this has happened a lot, okay? Uh, we've been fighting in the last few years in Michigan, okay? Um, there have been children that have been brought to us, and, and well, little, uh, little Tommy thinks he's a she. And so the appeal is made to what? His conscience. Who do you think you are? What do you think you are? And in reality, our modern culture has told us if the original plumbing, that's called anatomy, by the way, if the original plumbing disagrees with what you think you are, what your conscience, what you believe your conscience is telling you are, you go with your conscience. Now you tell me which is wrong, the original plumbing or the conscience? But do you understand where we can get where, where well, my, I, I've done this and my conscience doesn't bother me. I've talked to Christians before who have done things directly against God's word and they have made that statement to me. My conscience didn't convict me. Well, can I tell you? Your conscience is wrong. See, we've got to be very careful because we as Christians need to take our common sense and our conscience and say, these are great tools but if they ever go against and contrast God's word, I've got to take God's word every day. Thus saith the Lord. And that's really what Paul is even saying here. These people have gotten to such a hardened heart. They don't want to retain God. They're doing things. They, they even would convince you their conscience is with them. Oh, no, we would put it this way. <laughs> A conscience can be a good thing when it is informed and in line with the Word of God. But when a person is left to one's own devices, the conscience can be deceived, it can be seared, it can be muted, and it can be rendered useless. That is, essentially, someone can turn their conscience off. Misinformed. Misguided. For some, their conscience once told them they, what they did was wrong and that their actions rendered them the object of God's judgment, but they have silenced their own conscience a long time ago. And for the one who has done so, it's not enough to just abandon God, but they delight in encouraging and celebrating others that do likewise. Notice the final aspect of what Paul says of this indictment, verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So they themselves are not only committing it, but boy, they look at others and they take pleasure in it. They approve of it. These acts of wickedness are condoned. They're celebrated. They're constantly defended. Today in America, you and I can give our thanks to a tolerant and politically correct government for making verse 32 true in America. You and I can thank a pushy and flaunting Hollywood and movie slash TV industry for helping America to be what it is today. We can thank a no immoral stone unturned music industry 
for contributing to what America is today and fulfilling verse 32. We can thank a liberal media with an obvious anti-God slant for making America what it is today. But my friend, ultimately, it always comes back to the one at whose feet it always lies, and that is man himself. That is a depraved heart that has chosen to rebel against God's chosen revelation and has regressed and has come to the point of reprobation. Our hearts are desperately wicked. And unless they are regenerated by the glorious grace of God, wickedness will abound in the bodies, the hearts, and mind of every person. And you get people, then you have a nation. You have a country. And so all it is is that you and I are no, just living out what we are. We're naturally depraved human beings. And yet the same author, several books later in the New Testament, you know what he says? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You're here tonight and you look at verse 29 through 31. And you say, well, I sure am thankful. I'm none of those things, at least now. Well, can I tell you, praise God for His grace. Because without God, you and I are this. Apart from the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel being shed with us, we are here. What does this world need? You can't legislate morality, but you sure can tell them about a Savior who saves. And He changes all of this. Our goal is to see people do what? Huh. Not reject God, but embrace God. Come to have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, His Son. Now I'll tell you, the next chapter is quite interesting. He, he kind of turns the focus from the Gentile, the heathen, to those who are hypocrites. Who look at that first chapter and say, ha, that, that's not me. Oh, those wicked, horrible people. But then he points the finger now at religious people. Those who think they have it all together. I'm looking forward to it. We'll get into chapter 2 here in a couple of weeks. It's a great challenge. You can look at the very first statement. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. That's quite interesting. Great statement. Hey, Brother Cliff, you bring those prayer requests. We're going to pray for out revival. I encourage you to pray for Marianne Smith, recovery there. Uh, pray for Julie Shaver. And uh, continue coming up that appointment, 27th, I think it is. And uh, so pray for that. And x-ray, she'll be able to come home. And joking with her today, I said we, she needs to come home to the mitt right and uh, she says she misses Michigan a lot and so we'll pray for Miss Julie and uh, Lord would undertake her play for brother Floyd Lord continue to give him strength he's at home recovering and uh, going through some therapy and things so pray for brother brother Floyd there um, pray for uh, Marlon Peterson and his family they're traveling back right now for furlough and uh, they have a 25 hour flight and a couple layovers so pray for them and that luggage would get here that have safety and traveling the Marlon, Marlon Peterson, the Peterson family, and there to Uganda. So pray for that, and God would give them great safety and protection there. 
And, uh, uh, of course, pray for that. Pray, uh, several prayer requests. Let me mention each of these here tonight. Uh, pray for Barb and John uh, Glasson. This is Kim Eddie's mom, her husband. Continued need for strength and grace, dealing with his Alzheimer's and all the decisions that need to be made. Pray for Barb and John Glasson and uh, for decisions there, strength, grace as they deal with that. And the Lord have mercy on Barb and John Glasson concerning there. I actually pray for Anastasia, her ongoing health issues and wisdom and direction uh, for uh, moving this summer. So pray for that, for ongoing health issues and then wisdom and direction for moving this summer. Anastasia, pray for that. I should pray for Martin Eddy for health and then an unspoken. Uh, health and an unspoken. And have several... Um, Several unspoken. So pray for another unspoken for Yvonne and her daughter Tony. An unspoken for Yvonne and her daughter uh, Tony there also. And uh, along with Martin Eddie's unspoken. Pray for Crystal Gwynn who also has an unspoken. Crystal Gwynn. And a friend of Jan Holverson who's a bus rider. An unspoken for that friend. And then for that friend to grow in Christ too. So pray for that unspoken for Jan Holverson's friend that rides the bus and also to grow. Uh, Hannah Johnson has two unspoken, so pray for that. Uh, those two unspoken for Hannah Johnson, Hannah Johnson, then Mary Ellen Wright also has an unspoken. So just pray for all these. Mary Ellen Wright was the last one, an unspoken there. So pray for all of these unspokens that were mentioned tonight. The Lord would work in each of that. Pray for Trevor and Ryan, Debbie Robinson's and grandsons for salvation. Trevor and Ryan for salvation. Trevor Ryan for salvation. Pray for Paul Prill. This is Heidi, Heidi Meyer's father. And uh, uh, recent test results show some tumors are coming back. They're growing. And uh, so after a couple of weeks break, they'll be starting a different treatment and that helped to shrink the original tumors back when. So uh, just pray for that to work. So pray for Paul Prill, Heidi Meyer's dad. And these tests have shown some tumors are coming back. They're growing. So in a couple of weeks here, they'll be doing the treatment that worked once before. So pray that that would work again in that treatment there. Uh, pray for uh, Marsha Holka. Marsha Holka. This is Heidi Meyer's aunt. We mentioned before without the name, but pray for her and uh, grateful for your prayers. She's now home after many weeks of being in a hospital from her fall, the brain bleed, and her condition that had, had looked quite bleak. So we're thankful for that. Continue to pray for Marsha Holka from that fall, the brain bleed. And we are grateful she is home after many weeks and uh, grateful for that. Just pray for her continued recovery there. Pray for continued recovery. Pray for the Keeling family, Rickson and Susan. Obviously, there are missionaries to Micronesia. They've had a couple uh, tough, terrible storms hit. So uh, the first one uh, filled uh, their home with a tree and a boulder and lots and lots of mud. So and recovering from that, and then the other one filled it with water. So uh, they're trying to put in a retaining wall behind their home. And um, so just pray for that. Um, and they've been without power and water for over three weeks. Okay, and uh, some of you know something about that, right? out of power and things. So they've been around without it three weeks. So pray for the uh, Keeling family, our missionaries in Micronesia. Lord would just uh, minister to them, help them as they make these repairs and get electricity and water back up and running after those two storms. So remember them in prayer. Let's pray for revivals. We mentioned, we mentioned earlier, think of some people that you could pray for specifically. Lord would lay on your heart as far as reaching out to them and getting them here to the revival services. Let's split up in groups of one, two, and three. I encourage you to stop by the table in the back if you need to sign up for something. We'd love for you to do that. Appreciate you being here. We look forward to Sunday. Hope you'll be here then as we kick off. Don't forget combined Sunday school hour for teens on up here in the auditorium. Teens on up. We'll have a combined Sunday school hour and with Dr. Bill and we'll kick off our revival week. Let's go Lord in prayer.